Hey, uh, we have been going through uh, 1 John, and last week, Pastor Dave talked to us from 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, and he was talking to us about discerning the spirits. And as we think about discerning the spirits, our minds probably go quite quickly to the spiritual world and things that are out there that we can't see. But as Dave was sharing with us last week, Pastor Dave and um, John is sharing with us in that passage of scripture, he's saying, look, there are spiritual realities at play in the world. And the physical things that we see happening are very much affected by the spiritual things behind the scene. And as John was talking, he was sharing about the spirit of falsehood and of the Antichrist. And so there are these behaviors and these attitudes that we see played out in the physical reality, but that is stuff that is a result of the spiritual forces behind the scenes. Now, I have to confess to you that the topic today uh, that we're going to be talking about is one that is so vast that I was like, oh man, I don't know if I can pull this off. And so uh, let's just pray because this is a pretty big topic and it requires the Holy Spirit to, to hear it. So let's pray. Father God, uh, we come before you today and we want to open our hearts. God, open my mind and my heart so that I can speak your word. But by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you allow us to see and understand the passage that you have for us today? This is a wonderful thing, but exploring you and the mysteries of God, well, that takes your Holy Spirit. So we pray you would be upon us. In Jesus' name we pray that. Amen. All right, there were forces at work and, and, and things going on in John's day. And so the reason that he was sharing with the local church the things that he writes here in this passage in 1 John, um, he is sharing with them because there was, they were, there was people who had left the church who were spreading these falsehoods. And they were causing problems in the local church. And so John is writing to them with the main point of trying to get them to understand the truth in light of all of these false teachings that were going on in the day. Now, when I was 19 years old, I think I was 19, we went to the Shushwap Lakes as a family for vacation. And we had gone with another family, and this family was staying in a motorhome in the campground right next to where we had gone, and we were, we were staying in a motel. And the parents, the, the one day, decided all the parents from both households were going to go to Vernon, which is about a 45-minute drive to the south, and they were going to spend the whole day there. And us kids were going to stick back, and we were going to have fun playing on the water, doing water sports. We love the boat and the water and all that kind of stuff, so we were going to do water sports. And so my buddy Brendan was there, and the parents left, and they went to Vernon and we, we head out on the water and my buddy Brendan's tubing and we're having a great time. We're flipping this guy in the air. He's, he's doing some amazing acts and falling into the water. And I remember even the, there was one time we actually flipped the tube upside down and we thought for sure he's off. And then the tube flipped over and Brendan's still hanging on and he's still giving her. And so we were just having a wonderful time just being crazy and enjoying the water. Well, about a half an hour in, Brendan's had enough and he climbs into the boat and he grabs his, his, his pocket of his bathing suit and he goes, oh no, the motorhome keys were in my pocket when we were out on the water. I was like, oh no, Brennan, what? And so we're not sure if there's another set of keys. His parents and my parents, everybody's in Vernon. And so we're like, well, what are we going to do? Like, there's this motorhome here. You can't get into it. And they're not coming back till later. And we don't even know if there's another key. So we're like, well, you know what? We're in the middle of the lake. There's no cell phone service or nothing. And, and, and so let's just like, back then, cell phones weren't that big anyway. And, and so we're, we can't get a hold of them. Let's just enjoy the rest of the day. And then we'll, we'll deal with this later. 
And so my brother, who's about 13 years old, he climbs into the tube and we start going. And within a couple of minutes, he's waving his hand, stop, stop, stop. And we're like, well, what? what's going on, Tim? You know, we say, and as we stop the boat and we like, what, what's the problem? He goes, the keys are in the bottom of the tube. And so he picks out the keys and it's this miracle that the keys are there and we're saved and it's amazing. And he's going to get into the motorhome. And we're like, Tim, don't throw the keys. We'll just reel you in and then you can give us the keys. You guys know where this is going, right? So we start reeling my brother in and it's like 50 or 70 feet of line. And when he's five feet away from the boat, my brother decides... I'm going to throw the keys. The boat is about seven feet wide and about 18 and a half feet long. And somehow, five feet away from this massive object, my brother throws it and the keys go straight into the water. <laughs> now the waters of the Shushwap Lake are much cleaner than they are here, but they're still murky enough that the key starts to disappear quite quickly. And I'm standing on the back of the boat and I see this key disappearing into the murky water. And so fully clothed in a sweater and everything, eyes wide open, I dive into the water, hand out, and I'm going to save this key. And I missed it. And it's gone and it disappears into the darkness. And that lake is like 800 feet deep, so we're not getting the key back, you know, aside from miracle number two, but I think we were out of miracles that day, so... The point of me sharing that story with you is false teachers make the waters of truth murky. And the further that truth gets away from us, the harder it is to make out that truth. The situation of the church in John's day, the waters had become murky because of all of these false teachers. And the situation today hasn't changed much. As a matter of fact, it might even be worse because these false teachings that we see and this, this antichrist spirit that we see displayed in the world, well, they are now well established. And so there's these forces and, or, and organizations in place that promote falsehood and try to lead people astray in our world. So we need to be careful we need to have a really good idea of who our God is and a strong understanding of theology if we're going to survive in the waters of today because there's lots of things making the water murky. It was less than 20 years ago when um, cell phones weren't a big thing. I didn't have a cell phone 20 years ago and kids are like gasping. Oh, what did you do all day? But 20 years ago, I didn't have a cell phone. That wasn't a big thing. It was like a family cell phone. My mom had a cell phone and we like, it was huge. But anyway, back then, if you wanted to get the news, you had to wait until like noon or five or 11 o'clock in the evening when you could watch it on TV or you would have to buy a newspaper and it would tell you the news from yesterday. But today, right now, as a matter of fact, right now, I could go on the news, if you guys bore me, and I could, I could figure out what's going on on the other side of the world right now. I could tell you what happened five minutes ago because of the news stories that I see. If I wanted to communicate with somebody, you know, back then, I would have to send them an email or pick up the phone. Texting wasn't a big thing back then. It was just about to be, but it wasn't. There was no Facebook. Instagram hadn't been invented yet. And that's not that long ago. Now, with the advancements of AI, this is going to change again. With AI, what used to take weeks or even months to develop a thought, an idea, and put it on paper and get it out to the world, now can take seconds. It's literally that fast now. 
which means we need to understand our God and have a rock-solid biblical understanding of theology because we are at incredible risk in our current cultural climate. And that brings us to our topic today on love. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 21. Now, you might be thinking, Joel, this isn't a murky water topic for me. I get God's love. I understand love. Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. But the world is out there trying to impress upon us what love really is. And if we want to hold firm in that and not have that water kind of make that truth blurry, we need to have a deeper understanding of God's love than Jesus loves me. This I know. Now, the, the topic of God's love is incredibly broad. And that's why I think I was overwhelmed this week as I was studying. I was like, there's too much here. I can't share all this. And so we're going we're gonna to look at one slice of God's love. Particularly what we're going to look at today is what it means for us to be ambassadors of God's love. And that's how we're going to view the scripture today. So uh, I think this is a really good place for us to start. Because as the waters are murky in society, and as... You and I are God's ambassadors of love out in the world. We are in, at incredible risk of spreading, of spreading things that aren't true about God's love. So we need to understand what it is. Otherwise, we're painting a false picture out in the world of God and his love. And we don't want to do that. So the stakes are high today as we look at our passage. Let's get into it. Verse 7 and 8. Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Now, did it come up there, guys? Sorry, there it is. You're going to have to advance it. It doesn't appear to be working. Um, there's so much for us to look at. We're just going to look at two things. I think I was counting the other day and there was like seven different things that we could talk about in this passage of scripture, but we're just going to be looking at two this morning. So let's dive in here. Uh, the first thing we want to look at is John says, everyone who loves has been born of God. Is that true? When you look at that at face value, does everyone that you know who loves has been born of God? And you kind of look at it and you go, well, actually, no, I know my neighbor loves his wife or she loves her husband, but they don't know God. So we know when we look at that, that there might be something else that John means here than just what we just thought. And so as we look at the rest of this passage, we actually see that there is this complete love that, that exists within God and that there is this incomplete love that exists within the world. And here in our passage today, John is referring to this complete love of God. He's saying that any one of us who belongs to God has this complete love of God within them. There's, there's something different about the love that you have within you if you're a believer. It's not a worldly love. It is something greater. It is something stronger and something more complete. So as ambassadors of God's love, we have perfect love within us because we are born of God. The second thing that we need to understand from this passage about being ambassadors of God's love is that love comes from God. And you might look at that and you go, okay, yeah, I've heard that before. That makes sense. Love comes from God. I can buy into that. But here's the implications of it. We don't often think of the other side of it. The implications of that statement, love comes from God, means that worldly love will never be complete because it is not of God. It means that it has fallen and it is misguided and it will fall short of what it needs to be. 
And while it tries to advance and promote what real love looks like to us, and it's constantly bombarding us with what love should look like, it's never going to get there. And so we need to be careful as we look at what the world teaches and what God is teaching us. The world's love is flawed. Even if there are characteristics inside of worldly love that we can look at and we can appreciate and we can go, yeah, I could see how that is a part of complete love. You know, like, uh, you know, sacrificial giving or giving of yourself for the other person. Even if we can see those characteristics of inside of, of worldly love, we know that that, that incomplete love has a, has a foundation that isn't found in God. And so we need to be looking elsewhere for our instruction. The world does not hold the answers to the keys on love. God does. And so as God's ambassadors of love, we need to be looking at God for the answers and not allowing the world's love and its complete, incomplete picture of love to murky the waters on the truth of God's love, all right? So I am not a social media guy, okay? Uh, You know, I just, I don't know, it doesn't get me and I don't get it, so I just do other things and social media carries on in the world. But this week, because I wanted to understand what the world was saying about love in preparation for the sermon, I thought I would hop on Instagram and I would see what the world had to teach us about love. And it was disturbing. (laughs) But uh, anyway, I picked a few things out of there that I wanted to share with you, things that the world is trying to communicate to us about love in its incomplete fashion. So here we go. First one, love is love. You've probably heard somebody say this, and I'm not going to go too deep into this, but that is an oversimplification. As we've already talked about, there is this complete love that we see in God, and there's this incomplete love that's in the world. We also see in the Bible four different types of love. We see that there is agape love, which is this highest form of love that the Father has for us in sending Jesus to die for our sins. We see storge, which is this familial love, which is the kind of love that my wife or my my children have for me and I have for my children. There is phileo, which is this friendly type love, this brotherly love. And there is eros, which is this sexual and passionate type love. But we know outside of the Bible, there's also other kinds of love. There's the love that I have for my kids, which I know is different than the love that I have for my car, because I would never think of giving away my car. <laughs> my, po- <laughs> They're sitting right there like, <laughs> my point is love is love is not a complete statement and it's not a complete thought. When we say love is love, we're using it as a justification for something. And it's often because when we say love is love, we're trying to justify something that doesn't line up with God's complete love. Because complete love always operates within the boundaries of God's design. And that's because God's design for love, especially as it relates to relationships, is meant to bring us into a deeper understanding of God's love and a deeper understanding of relationship. And so if it doesn't follow God's design, it will never lead us there. So saying love is love and using it as justification is never going to get us to God's complete love. It's only going to move us further away. Now, we're not going to change the world on this, folks. We don't need to stand on the street corner and hold up a sign about this or that. The truth is that, that, that love, complete love, is discerned by the power of the Holy Spirit. So you're not going to be able to necessarily convince anybody any differently. But as believers, 
As ambassadors of God's love, we need to follow God's design and pattern for love so that it leads us to him. And also so we can continue the pattern of love that God has set for this world to see and demonstrate who God is to this world through living it out. Here's another one that Instagram likes to teach, love, love, uh, wants to show us about love. Love is blind and true love can look past the faults in others. Is that true? Does God look at us with loving eyes in all of our sin and just goes, I love you so much? No, he doesn't do that. Our sin is a showstopper in a relationship with God. Psalm 5 verses 4 and 6 says this, For you are not a God who is pleased with wickedness. With you, evil people are not welcome. The arrogant cannot stand in your presence. You hate all who do wrong. You destroy those who tell lies. Our sin is no joke to God. There is no being blind to sin or looking past our faults. Love is not blind in God's economy. Sin is too great a problem for him to look beyond, which is why he sent Jesus to die for our sins in our place. God doesn't look at us with loving eyes until the blood of Jesus is covering over us. We can't cover ourselves with good deeds and we can't cover ourselves with with great philosophical understanding or great acts of philanthropy because until Jesus' blood is covering us, we are still just objects of judgment and wrath in God's eyes. The fact of the matter is when it comes to this, transparency and acknowledgement of our faults and our sins is actually where we experience a deeper love with God. It's not through turning a blind eye to it and looking over it. God doesn't want to look past our sins. He wants to love us through them and work them out within us. I was reading my Bible uh, a couple of years ago, and as as I was reading through it, one of my patterns that I like to do is I like to read through it and I like to make notes or if a word pops out I'll just put a little mark on the page or I'll circle it and as I was reading through my bible the word naked jumped off the page at me and I was like okay that's kind of weird why did naked just all of a sudden pop off the page to me is it because I'm a guy like what's going on here but I just kept reading put a little mark above it and kept reading. Part of my pattern is I like to go back and I like to read the passage again, praying through those those things that God brought to my mind and there was the word naked again. And I'm like, what is going on in my mind today? And so as I prayed through that and I wrestled with that, I realized it wasn't a human thing that was going on in my mind. God was trying to get my attention. And he was trying to tell me, Joel, you are naked in front of me. You are fully exposed. I see your sin. I see your deeds. I see the hope, the man that you want to be and the man that you are. I see your aspirations. I see the good and the bad. I see all of it. But because of Jesus, I accept you as you are and I'll work in you through all of that. And it was this amazing moment where I realized that I was fully known by God and loved because of Jesus. He isn't blind to my sin. He loves me through it because of Jesus. Okay, here's the last Instagram one that I'm going to share with you, and it's a bit of a tougher one. We love by being tolerant and affirming of everyone because if we are not tolerant and affirming, it means that we are unloving. Is that true? Does God tolerate and affirm everything within us? 
No, of course he doesn't. And yet scripture tells us that God is love and love exists within God. And so, so God is able to love perfectly. And yet somehow he is completely intolerant to the things that are within us. I was recently chatting with a guy who was sharing his views on Jesus's love with me. And he was kind of explaining how he believed Jesus's love would be played out if we saw Jesus walking on our streets today. And so one of the things that he said to me is that Jesus, if he was walking here with us today, he claimed Jesus would be walking in gay pride parades because Jesus is all about love. The implications of his words are this. He would say practicing homosexuality is a sin, but Jesus would love these people and would demonstrate his support and love for them by supporting them by walking in their parades. Jesus walked with sinners. He ate with sinners. He spent time with sinners. He loved sinners. So naturally, we can conclude that he would walk in their parades, in gay pride parades with them because he would want to show them love. Now, I don't think there's many people out there that would argue that Jesus doesn't love sinners. Jesus loves sinners. My sin, your sin, whatever. It's not too big of a problem for Jesus. He loves us through that. But we cannot view God's love for us as sinners apart from his other attributes. It's not like, you know, God's love is up here in the equation of God and the rest of his attributes are down here. And I love the way R.C. Sproul puts it. He says, God's love never operates apart from his holiness, mercy, justice, omnipotence, omniscience, or any other attribute. This tells us it is loving to seek justice and demand holiness, though we would never do that at the expense of mercy. This guy was arguing the love of God, but he was diminishing all of these other attributes of God in the process. We can't claim to know God and be his ambassadors of love in the world if we don't understand God's love in context with the rest of his nature. God is a package deal. We don't get to pick and choose what we love from God. It's it's all or nothing with him. This guy was sold on God's love. He was all in. God's love is amazing, but he was not sold on God's lordship in our lives. He is right in saying God or Jesus would love gay people. Of course he would. He would love me and he would love you and he would spend time with me and he would spend time with you, sinners. But we can't confuse love with affirmation. Affirmation means Jesus isn't Lord. He's not affirming the way that I live my life. He's the son of God. And we forget that sometimes when we're talking about these things. He is God He didn't come here to support my beliefs and my agenda. He came here to promote his own. Jesus would never walk in my parade or in your parade or in the NDP or the conservative parade or a gay pride parade. If we want to be with Jesus, we walk in his parade. That's how it works. And in God's parade, in Jesus' parade, there's going to be people from all walks of life but they're not going to be there promoting their agenda. They are going to be there submitting to his and accepting his lordship over them. Being in Jesus's parade means that we look at it and we go, whatever it takes to follow you, I'm in. And it starts with his lordship. All of us approach Jesus the same way as deserving sinners choosing to follow him. But it is in that submission where we experience God's perfect love. 
If we want to experience real and perfect love from God, it doesn't come from watering down the truth of Jesus. It takes humble submission to his lordship. Jesus is the most loving act that was ever displayed to humanity because he accepted God's wrath for us upon himself. If we don't understand God's intolerance to sin, then we will never fully grasp the depths of his love either. Our world is trying really hard right now to blur this reality and steal this truth away, but don't be fooled. When we buy into the Instagram definition of love, the incomplete definition of love, it does not lead to a more loving environment. It just diminishes the blood of Jesus. And when we want to experience the perfect love of God, we do not want to diminish the blood of Jesus. Ambassadors of God love and understand the depths of God's love within the context of his other attributes. It's a package deal. If we want God's love, we got to take the rest of it too. And it starts with his lordship. All right, let's keep moving on. Verses 9 through 11. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a toning sacrifice for our sins. Remember, John is talking here to a church that went through a church split. And the people who had left the church were those who had said Jesus was not the Christ. As we look at what John is saying here, he is saying, you know what? If you don't accept Jesus, you're not going to get his love either. Jesus Jesus is the entry point. Jesus is the atoning sacrifice. And if you want to have God, then you got to choose Jesus. And if you turn your back on Jesus, you are, getting, you are missing out on his love and you are missing out on your relationship with the Father as well. But for those of us who receive Jesus, well, we get God's love. And that isn't just God's word that there's love. That is love in action demonstrated through Jesus. It is amazing to think that Jesus is the confirmation of God's love in action. You know, we don't just have somebody saying, well, God loves you. No, we have that demonstrated to us through Jesus. You probably heard the joke before where it's like the husband and wife get married and years into the future, the wife is going, my husband doesn't love me. And she approaches her husband and and goes, I don't think you love me. Are you cheating on me? And the husband's like, what are you talking about? And she's like, you've never told me that you've loved me since the day we've been married. And he's like, yeah, I told you I loved you the day we married. I'll let you know if something changes. You know? <laughs> love without action isn't really love at all, right? It's not like I can say, oh, I love my kids, and then they never see it, and they'll think that I love them. That's not how it works. Jesus is God's love and action to us. It was in that loving act of Jesus that he paid for our sins, and he defeated the work of Satan. And that isn't just a past tense thing. He's defeating the sins that are within us right now as he works in our lives to to purify us and sanctify us from what's going on in there. God's love is active and alive in the life of an ambassador of Christ. As ambassadors of God's love, we need to follow his example by loving others with with our actions. The world tells us that love is a feeling. And when that loving feeling goes away, love is over with. But that is not what God's perfect love shows us. He shows us that love is an action, far more than it's a feeling. And that action carries on. 
The actions of Jesus brought life to our souls and our, our loving actions now that we display, that we can carry on, are gonna spread life to this body of believers and those outside of these doors. Let's move on. 11 and 12, dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. And what John is saying here is he's saying nobody has ever seen God. But there is ways to see God's attributes. There is way to see pieces of God as we love one another. Ambassadors are given this complete love of God to share with others. There is something amazing that happens when we love each other as believers. We get to experience the complete love of God. As we receive the complete love from him and we share it with others, we get to see this complete picture of what is going on with God and, and his complete love. And he gives that to us. The world doesn't share love with the hope of discovering a deeper understanding of God. But as believers, when we love, we get to know our God better. We get to understand and see a piece of our God in action. Isn't that amazing? Now come with me down the rabbit hole for a minute. We're going to look at how God or how perfect love can exist inside God for a minute. One of the things that I find strange as we look at verses 12 here, verse 12 says, God's love is made complete within us. And when we read that statement, God's love is made complete within us, it kind of gives us the impression that God's love then is incomplete without us. Like we can look at it like somehow there's this formula for God's love and we're in it. And if we're not in that formula, things don't add up and love isn't complete then. Again, if we're going to be ambassadors of God's love and understanding the waters are murky, then I think we should probably have an understanding of whether we are a necessary part of God's love or not for it to be complete. Now, if you have ever seen the three manifestations of God that we see in the scriptures, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and you've looked at that and you've thought, that's really confusing. Why do we see this? Well, perfect love is a part of the answer. We know from verse 7 that love comes from God, which means that in God alone, perfect love must exist. So how can perfect love exist in a singular being? Think about that for a minute. How can you love if there's no one there to love? How do you know it's love? It's kind of like that, that philosophical thing, like, like if a tree falls in the woods and no one's around to hear it, like does it really make a sound? Well, is it really love if no one's around to love? Well, God is not a singular being. We know from scripture that God is a triune God. He is three in one. And we see these three manifestations displayed in scripture. We see the Father. We see the Son. We see the Holy Spirit. Each with their own role inside of what scholarly people call the Godhead. God in himself is able to love perfectly because he is in relationship with himself as the Father loves the Son and the Holy Spirit and as the Son loves the Holy Spirit and the Father and as the Holy Spirit loves the Father and the Son. They are able to love perfectly with inside of that relationship. We can also juxtapose this amazing loving relationship that we see take place with inside the Godhead and inside the Trinity with the singular nature of Satan. 
Satan is incapable of love because he has no relationship with God. We know that love comes from God. And so that if Satan is uh, separated from God and he is a singular being, he is incapable of creating love within himself. That is why Satan is full of hate. And it's also why he is the chief destroyer of relationship because he knows where relationship started and where it came from. And he does not want us to see God in anything else. We shouldn't be surprised then that Satan loves to attack relationships and marriage because he wants to tear down anything that shows us and demonstrates God's love in the world. And he, he doesn't want us to see anything of a picture of God displayed in the world. As ambassadors of God's love, we need to be aware of Satan's work and what he's doing because the world is following Satan's leading and they have no anchor point for relationships and love and marriage. But we do because we understand God with intention created all of these things to be a reflection of himself, a part of his nature that we could experience in this world. Even though none of us have seen God, we can see what he is like as we love one another in relationship. Moving on. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. As ambassadors, we have confidence in God's love. And we talked about this a few weeks ago. One of the things that we have as believers in Christ is a confirmation that what we believe is true and right. It's different than what the rest of the world has because we have the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit within us. The gift of the Holy Spirit for us is a confirmation that God loves us and that Jesus' actions were loving on the cross. Where the world is never confident in love because there's no guarantee that love will end or won't end, pardon me, God's children can have this incredible confidence in God's love because we have the gift of the Holy Spirit within us. The world doesn't have that, folks. As ambassadors, we have confidence in knowing that there is a profound and enduring love that exists somewhere out in the universe, and we are a part of that. The world can't, can't convince an ambassador of God's love that love is shaky or, no, oh, let's develop a new idea on love, or that love is somehow untrustworthy because we know that simply isn't the case. It was demonstrated by Jesus and it is confirmed in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Moving on. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Ambassadors of God's love have no fear of judgment. When we have the confirmation of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we don't need to fear judgment because we trust that Jesus accepted the wrath of God on our behalf. In John 17, it says, in this world, we are like Jesus. And what he means by that is in this world, we, like Jesus, are in relationship with the Father. The world is telling us that we need to look deep within inside ourselves to discover who we are. 
Then we're going to find happiness. Then we're going to discover our identity. Then we're going to find our purpose. But you know what? We're broken people. And the more that we look inside, the more lost we become. Because you don't look deeper into brokenness to find wholeness. We're all looking to find completeness, but we're not going to find it where brokenness lies. You've got to look to the one who in perfect love exists. You've got to look to the one in where perfection exists. You have to look to the one who created you and into the one who you have relationship with. Ambassadors of God's love don't fear judgment because they are in relationship with God. And our final section is this. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. You hear that, Bennett and Ambria? Yeah. <laughs> the sensationists who left the church were claiming that they loved God, but they hated the believers that were in the church. And John's saying, you can't claim to love God if you hate your brothers and sisters in Christ. If God's love is complete, and that complete love with, is within us, we operate by the power of the Holy Spirit outflow in our lives. We listen to him as he leads us and he guides us. And we know that com because complete love exists within him, he is not going to tell us to hate our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so if we see that seed of hate starting to well up inside of us, or we see it in other people, well, we know where that comes from, don't we? God loved us even when we were in an unlovable state. And John tells us in verse 19 that we love because he first loved us. God loved us when we were in an unlovable state and he had no good reason to love us. And yet he sent Jesus anyway. This is a huge act of love that was done for us when we didn't deserve it. And yet God did it because he wanted us to know that there was a perfect and enduring and a complete love that still exists even for unlovable people. I'd like to invite the worship team to come up here now. Look at this picture. My wife bought this picture and put it in our room. Can you believe the audacity of that woman? Do you know what really bugs me about this picture the most? That I didn't find it and buy it first. That just burns inside. But is this not what it takes to have a relationship? Deciding to go deeper, discovering that things aren't perfect, and then choosing to love each other through it? The best relationships and the best love are experienced with each other, knowing each other's faults and choosing to love through them anyway. Worldly love runs away, but godly love discovers the faults, finds them, understands them, and then loves us through them. My wife doesn't affirm my faults, but she loves them through it. And despite what this crass, horrible sign says, I've actually seen her wrong every now and again too. Ambassadors of God's love choose to love the unlovable because they recognize that they were loved when they were in an unlovable state. There's something about coming to the understanding that we were loved in an unlovable state that help us 
express love to others who are unlovable. And you know what happens when we do that? We experience more of who God is in his complete love in, an, in us. The waters are murky out there, everybody. So when it comes to God's love and knowing your God, make sure you are going to him, going to the one whom from real love flows. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your love. We thank you that it is actually unfathomable. We can't even grasp it. We talked about it for half an hour or whatever it's been, and we barely scratched the surface. Thank you that your love is so amazing. May we go out of this place with the truth of your love today. Amen.